morning we are beginning a new series of studies in the Old Testament book of First Kings, one of the historic books of the Old Testament. And so if you have your Bible this morning, would you turn please to First Kings chapter 17 as we read the first six verses. Over these next few weeks we will be focused on the remarkable life of the Old Testament prophet Elijah. And Elijah has so much to teach us about living in a 21st century environment. You will be surprised as Sunday by Sunday we come to learn more about Elijah and more importantly, more about how God interacts with Elijah and Elijah grows and develops in his appreciation and love for God. And so we're beginning 1 Kings chapter 17, and it begins by telling us a little about Elijah's background. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishb in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then The word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kirith ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to Kirith ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. Over the next few weeks together on Sunday mornings, as we begin to immerse ourselves in the story of Elijah, one of the major themes that will emerge, and we're going to see it this morning, is that of surprise. And there are moments in the life of Elijah When in typical of surprise, events happen you could not foresee coming. You seem to be heading in one direction and suddenly God changes you and you're now moving in another. And so you see one surprise after another. And so let me give you a heads up. If you've ever found yourself in a situation where you were quite convinced you were aware of what was coming and how your life was mapped out, and then it changes somewhat suddenly, circumstances outside of your control, you will be able to identify with Elijah. Elijah is an individual whose characteristics and attributes are often summed up with diligence, creativity, dignity, Discipline, and yet the foundation of his life is that he has a quiet confidence in the invincibility of God's grace. If you're taking notes this morning or writing in the spare room at the head of your Bible, that's a good theme to put in there. A quiet confidence in the invincibility of the grace of God. At times, Elijah seems to be fearless, undaunting, uncompromisingly strong. He's self-controlled, determined. Yet other times, he is kind and forgiving. And the New Testament describes him as a man 
of prayer. And we're going to see that running through the next few weeks as well. And yet at other times he vacillates just as we do. We see him at times courageous, other times cowardly. He moves from being an optimist to a pessimist. We see him responding with anxiety to situations, again, out with his control, to the daily demands that come his way. And those demands at times are crushingly oppressive. And yet God is right there with Elijah. And this study will teach us how to respond to the daily pressures and circumstances that we sometimes face. Do we live in different circumstance and have different challenges from Elijah living around 900, 800 years BC? Yes, we do. But nonetheless, there are so many areas that are common to us today. And the first is this, that Elijah heard the call of God and was courageous enough to follow that call as an ordinary, everyday sort of individual. But if we're ever to understand Elijah, we have to understand his historical context as well. Studying the lives of great biblical characters without a historical context doesn't help us that much. Because we often discover that it's in the anvil of the historical context that God creates and shapes a godly character. Strength of character, godliness, is often created and shaped on the anvil of time. It's forged in the context of personal history. And we certainly see that with Elijah. And so that gives you a little feel of what's coming this morning and in subsequent Sundays. But let me put it in that wider context for you. People of Israel had been ruled by the first king Saul, then David, then his son Solomon. And then a civil war broke out around the year 922 B.C. And the nation of Israel split into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom was named Israel and the southern kingdom was named Judah. So 922 BC is an important year. Civil war breaks out two kingdoms. Now the northern kingdom was named Israel. And they lasted around 200 years. They had 19 different monarchs. And sadly, the refrain that runs through First King, characterizing and summarizing for us the northern kingdom and their leadership is the phrase, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. That's pretty serious when the scriptures describe a consistent leadership in that manner. It doesn't say they were mistaken. It doesn't say they got it wrong. It doesn't say they went uh, astray. They did evil. Scripture at times is understated, and this is one of those times. God then used the Assyrians to invade the northern kingdom in the year 722 B.C. 
But meanwhile, in the southern kingdom of Israel, they lasted a little longer than 300 years, about 335, 336 years. They had 17 monarchs, eight kings. Their phrase was, followed the Lord their God. And so there's a little hope there as God worked in and through the lives of these monarchs. But sadly, nine other kings did not follow him. And again, that's an understatement. So much so, the destruction of Jerusalem came in 586 BC and the southern kingdom were taken off into Babylonian activity for the next 70 years. And in chapter 16... We now move from the overall picture to the specifics of what led up to the call of Elijah. In chapter 16, we are introduced to Ahab. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king over Israel. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. And Ahab is the monarch whom Elijah challenges. We're about to see it in these opening verses. And so that gives you a little of the context of what's taking place when God calls Elijah. Throughout this period, of course, God has been calling prophets. They have been challenging the kings and the monarchs. Sadly, the monarchs treated them with disdain, felt they were out of touch with nothing really to say. And sadly, this was a period marked by bloodshed, assassination, murder, malice, intrigue, immorality, graft, conspiracy, deception, hatred, idolatry. For six decades leading up to Elijah were dark decades. The chasm between God and his people could not possibly get any wider. And Ahab, very sadly, was indeed a wicked, malicious individual And that hatred flowed down into the people of the northern kingdom and it infected every area of their culture. And so in the midst of this deep darkness, God was at work. Now here's my question to you this morning. If you lived during those days, what would you do? How would you pray? Now, if you are a good Presbyterian back then, you would, of course, form a committee. And that's what we do as Presbyterians. We pray and we form committees. And if you formed a committee and you would say to the committee, well, let's, first of all, let's not call ourselves a committee. Let's be a little creative. Let's call ourselves a task force, and that's a good way forward. You see, well, maybe our task force should lay out the objective criteria, and maybe we should look around and prayerfully call a prophet. And so you would be a PNC, a prophet nominating committee. And so with all of that prayer and committee work going on, you would say, now what kind of prophet do we need? 
We need someone who is youthful and energetic, but has 20 years experience. We need someone who can speak to the senior adults across the nation, here in the Northern Kingdom, but also with the children. We need a prophet who has his finger on the pulse of the nation. We need someone who has been a confidant and a counsellor to kings, someone who has experience in royal circles. And for all of my silliness, that's exactly what God does. He doesn't form a committee or a task force. But he puts his hand upon an individual that was absolutely unknown, living in utter isolation from the rest of the nation. And in chapter 16, if you have your Bible... Turn over to chapter 16 and you'll see several headings dominating the chapter. The subheadings focus on Basha, king of Israel, Elah, king of Israel, Zimri, king of Israel, Omri, king of Israel, and then Ahab becomes king of Israel. And all of chapter 16 is focused on the rich, the famous, the powerful, the influers. And then as you come to chapter 17, there is a surprising contrast. The contrast is stark, it's arresting. And 17 begins, now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishb in Gilead said to Ahab. Remember, Ahab is the king. And we know nothing about the background of Elijah. We don't know his parents' name. We don't know if he had siblings. We know nothing about what he did for a living. He comes from a small, insignificant town. So small and insignificant, in fact, Old Testament scholars can't tell you, even to this day, where Tishp actually is. They are kind of guessing. They've got a rough idea, but they can't say definitively. And the temptation for you and I is when we come to chapter 17, if we have immersed ourselves in this book, is to think here we have all of these powerful monarchs and then this insignificant little town comes, an insignificant little man. If we were to put it in 21st century language, we would say Elijah was a nobody. Hadn't being counsellor and confidant to kings, was entirely unfamiliar with royal courts, had no experience whatsoever in dealing with the movers and shakers in our society. And yet, this simple, unknown spokesman who comes from nowhere speaks to Ahab, and you see it in the second part of verse 1, And he begins, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. Now understand what's going on here. Here is Elijah saying to Ahab, the most powerful man in the nation. He is saying, Ahab, please understand this and let me be clear Ahab, you believe you have power and influence and that you rule over this kingdom, 
But in actual fact, Ahab, you're nothing compared to the living God who speaks. And a drought will take place for three years, not just three days or three weeks or three months. And rain will not come again until he decides it will be so. And so the living God, he who is sovereign over all things, demonstrates to Ahab there will be neither dew nor rain for these next three years. And if you were on that prophet nominating committee or task force, you would say, Elijah, thank you. Thank you. At last we have someone who's willing to stand up. Someone who will be persistent. Someone who will persevere. Elijah, befriend Ahab. Get alongside him. Become his friend. Become his counselor. Pray for him. Build a relationship of trust so you can influence him. And perhaps he will see the error of his ways and turn and follow the living God. Elijah persists. Hang on in there. This is spectacular. You have been so effective here. Thank you. But that's not what happens. And here's another surprise. This small, insignificant man from this small, insignificant town is called by God to go and hide in a remote, isolated place. Look what happens. Verse 2, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here. Turn eastward and hide in the Kirith Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. Can you imagine Elijah's response to that? Lord, wait a minute. I thought you had called me to be a prophet to the northern kingdom, to influence the monarch, the movers and shakers of our society, to have an impact on this culture. And now you're calling me away? Lord, that doesn't make sense. I'm only beginning to make some progress here. And now you're calling me away? And again, if you have a voice on this task force or committee, you're saying, perhaps, Elijah, did you really hear God say that? Are you absolutely sure that's what he said? You didn't mishear him? And he said, stay there, not leave there. Elijah, what are you doing? What is going on? We worked so hard. We prayed so hard. God called you, put you in this place of influence, and now suddenly you're leaving. What is going on here? Ever discovered that God has brought an unwelcome Dramatic change into your life. A change outside of your control. And you are asking, Father, what are you doing? Why would you do that at this point in my life? What are you saying to me? Why would you call me away from the very place I am most effective? What on earth are you doing? God calls him to a place of isolation. 
A place hidden from everyone else. No one knows he's there. And yet here is God protecting Elijah from Ahab. In this place of isolation, hidden from everyone else, God begins to deal with Elijah at a whole new level. And here is God taking Elijah away from the sunshine and exposure of a national position and takes him to this small, insignificant place once again. Why? What was going on? Most of us, I suspect, I know I certainly would have been focused on Ahab, and then on Elijah, wondering what's coming next. But God can see what we cannot see. His ways are not our ways. They're so much richer, so much more complex. And in taking Elijah off to this isolated spot, he's saying, Elijah, you need more preparation and more training before you will be the man I've called you to be. And Elijah, it's in these quiet moments with no distractions. It's in these special times of deep intimacy with me that I will shape your character and mold your personality and draw you into a deeper, richer walk with me. And Elijah, I want to know if I can trust you in the mundane, insignificant routine, daily parts of life when you don't have public prominence. And you have simply and only me. And for the next three years, God shaped and refined Elijah. God was needing a man who was faithful and holy, and prayerful. A man with character and integrity. Someone who longed after holiness and prayer. Someone who was willing to be patient as God shaped and refined him. How often have we discovered on Sunday mornings as we've opened up the Scriptures that who we are is so much more important than what we will ever do. Let me say it again. Who we are is so much more important than anything we will ever do. Eugene Peterson, a very fine, godly writer, written a number of very successful books, said in one of his books, the patience which is needed to cultivate character takes time. Quiet spoken wisdom and seasoned maturity does not come instantly. The insightful perspective which adds depth to your discussions and decisions comes with integrity, generosity, determination and humility. Such maturity only comes as a direct result of time alone with God. 
and how true that is. And that can be so hard for those of us who are A-type personalities, who wake up bright as a button on a Monday morning, rush into the day, seek to achieve and conquer all of our mental task list that lies before us, the get-the-job-done kind of individuals, the kind of person everyone looks to when a job is needing done. And yet there are times when God pulls us away, causes us to slow down and speaks to us, and speaks to us only when we are quiet enough to hear his voice. Rarely does he shout. Rarely. But he whispers and speaks softly. And Elijah had to learn the lesson that every generation since has learned. In order to hear him, there are times when we need to slow down enough to be quiet and to listen. Over this past year, I suspect most of us have had more time on our hands than we have had in the past. Those days and weeks of quarantine, when we could go nowhere, do nothing, We had to be quiet, think again, pray again, engage again with him. What have you learned over these last 12 months? Did he slow you down enough to speak to you? Back in the middle of December, I unfortunately contracted COVID and it lasted till about the middle of January and I'm still struggling with some aspects of it. But in the middle of that experience, I lost three days, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day and the day after. I have no memory of it. Little glimmers, nothing significant. The fever was awful. Moments of Delusion and hearing voices and songs, rock songs from the 60s I hadn't heard in 30 years. But I also remember his presence, his comforting hand. Moments when I was so sick. I couldn't lift my head off the pillow. Right there. Those deep, tender moments. Moments when His grace washes over you and assures you. And He begins to gently restore you. He doesn't have to shout, but He speaks in quiet tones. I suspect Elijah did not believe he needed further training. Most of us don't believe we need further training. And yet that's exactly what he needed. So to summarize and draw things together this morning, two practical lessons to be learned. Number one, we said it moments ago, Who you are is always much more important 
and what you do. And secondly, solitude, isolation, periods of preparation are never signs of God's displeasure. Let me say that again. It's important you get it. Quiet moments, solitude, isolation are never moments of God's displeasure. In fact, they are the opposite. They're moments of preparation and refining and shaping and fashioning your character because he knows what's coming and you don't. Worth remembering. Let me try and summarize it with these thoughts. The patience which is needed to cultivate character takes time. Quiet spoken wisdom, seasoned maturity, does not come instantly. The insightful perspective which adds depth, as we have mentioned, to a discussion and decision comes with integrity and generosity. In fact, let me see if I can put it up. Did we get it? I think we did. No, I've lost it. Excuse me. And that kind of maturity comes only as a direct result of time alone with God. Let me close with this final observation. Chapter 17 begins by describing Elijah. Elijah the Tishbite from Tishb in Gilead. A small insignificant town. We're tempted to think as a small insignificant man. And yet at the end of the chapter, and we're going to see it next week, the chapter finishes by describing Elijah. And it doesn't describe him as this nobody. It describes him as Elijah, man of God. And in that three-year period, God was at work in significant, immeasurable ways. And if God is calling you to a place of quiet isolation and obscurity as he shapes and fashions you for what is coming next, give him thanks for that. Listen to his voice. Spend time in his word. Prepare your heart and mind and soul. But don't be surprised when he begins to work in your life at an extraordinary level. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage this morning. Thank you for all that it teaches us about your patient preparation in our lives. Father, thank you for the lessons that Elijah teaches us. Lessons of needing more preparation. Lessons of needing more time spent with you. Lessons that remind us that the mundane and the daily and the routine are important to you because you often take them to shape us and prepare us for what's to come. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.